Hi. <laughs> Hi, this is Michael Waits and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today I'm joined by Samaran Ghosh, Ghosh, excuse me, a senior advisor at McKinsey Company and an advisor to many Indian startups. Samaran, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much again for your flexibility when it comes to timing and scheduling. It's not always as easy as it looks, right? I I think being in Bangkok definitely helps. One and a half hours is nothing compared to what you might have to do if you were on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You and I. laughs> exactly. So let's just jump right in. What do you think is the biggest trend today in the Indian startup ecosystem? So I think uh, if you if you kind of just look at all the stuff that's coming out of India, uh, quite surprisingly for the rest of the world, I mean India has actually got upwards of uh, 25 unicorns, which is kind of the third largest in the world. And uh, if reports are to be believed, then they've got about uh, 30 plus in waiting, which are lovingly called sunicorns apparently so soon to be unicorns <laughs> soon to be unicorns okay. yeah, so to somebody be... has to make up so... these terms right <laughs> right right and and i think you know there is a profession out there that you know just does this so i think uh, just just looking at that i think uh, uh, india is definitely being kind of seen as an as a place where the startup community is extremely vibrant there is a lot of uh, funding uh, coming into this uh, there are uh, uh, international missions that are, you know, kind of specifically targeted to uh, hook up with the Indian startup ecosystem. Indian startups are actually now uh, are coming out of the domestic consumption mode and spreading their wings to, you know, go into neighboring markets, whether it's uh, a rideshare service like Ola, which is kind of moving to neighboring countries, whether it's a food review and restaurant app like Zomato, whether it's, you know, there are a whole bunch of others. Uh, so I think, uh, uh, I mean, while I won't say there is one big trend, but the fact that, you know, India has kind of has uh, a very uh, mature digital population, it's kind of got a very significant amount of uh, uh, internet penetration. Uh, and uh, plus, of course, there is a whole uh, enough of a population that has gone through one round of the startup revolution. So by the, what I mean by that is that a lot of the new startups have actually got founders who have uh, been in a startup or had a successful startup before. So all of these things, I think, is uh, definitely giving great impetus to the, the whole uh, uh, movement. And uh, what is also happening is that a lot of companies are rather than, uh, you know, building things on their own, or you know, undertaking large projects are actually reaching out to startups for solutions. So that whole uh, intermingling of the startup world with the formal enterprise world is kinding, kind of happening much more now in India. And I think it's a very, very accepted practice. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but I have a bit of a ramble, but sorry. <laughs> No, that's that's good, actually. Maybe you can back up a little bit now and just give us some of your background for context. We can understand how you view this and what your perch is for looking at this, yeah? You know, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I've been in the technology industry uh, for now close to 25 years. I've worked with folks like IBM, Microsoft. Uh, I, in fact, uh, 
took a one year break from IBM to go work in the Aadhaar project, which is possibly the world's largest digital identity project uh, to be done out of India. I've been on the buy and sell side of the technology world, and in that process, actually, I in my stint with Dun and Bradstreet, I, I was leading their technology for Asia. I realized that you know this clever use of startups to plug the technology requirements is a pretty easy and accelerated way of getting what you want rather than undertaking humongous projects. And that's where my whole interest in this whole uh, startup space came in. Uh, while at Microsoft also, you know, we worked with a large number of transformational projects. And quite a lot of times, this whole large digital transformation projects needed technologies that are already being created by people in the Microsoft uh, partner ecosystem. So that again kind of gave me a very, very interesting flavor of large tech platforms and how startups work in that process. Moving forward uh, with my stint in McKinsey as senior advisor and then working very actively with uh, quite a few startups in uh, the Indian environment, I, I've just uh, I, I've just found the space to be extremely, extremely interesting, exciting. And I think it kind of just uh, allows me to stay relevant. Because, you know, 25 years in tech, while used to be kind of a passport for credibility, now right. it kind of means that you are a fossil. <laughs> <laughs> Does it? I don't think so. <laughs> so. So I think that keeps you, you know, uh, uh, kind of hooked on to what's going on in the world, you know, what's happening in the space of technology and what companies are doing to solve problems, whether they are social, economic or business. And, you know, it's just a... It's just more, I just look at it a very crowdsourced way of, uh, you know, finding problems and of course, kind of getting some commercial gain out, out of the process. So you mentioned internet penetration, you said it was high in India, right? I'm just curious what that number is, or just an estimate of what that number is. So I think, uh, of course, there are crazy numbers out there, but I think it's, you've got about uh, 200 million, I think, people who have some kind of access uh, to the uh, to the internet and i think as, as in terms of uh, asian parameters go i think probably with, after china and possibly south korea we probably will be high but we will probably be higher than south korea in absolute terms because we've got the uh, advantage people. of population <laughs> yes yeah so actually the 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 percentage penetration is not super high but obviously the number of people like you said you have the benefit of population just makes the number of people that are connected to the internet mm -hmm. super high. I want to learn more about I want to learn more about Adar. Right? Did I pronounce that right? This is the Indian Digital yeah, Identity and Identification System. Can you just give me some more background on that and like what kind of tech is being used for it and is there blockchain involved and stuff like that? As of nowadays, I think there's no blockchain being involved. But I think what, what started out as uh, in India, we had various kind of identities for different things, something for tax, something for your driver's license and you know, something for nearly every other government project. So I think uh, uh, way back, uh, the previous government under Dr. Manmohan Singh and with the help of a technocrat, Nanda Dedekani, who was, of course, the one of the founders of Infosys, I mean, he was kind of the chief architect of this whole program. You know, they felt that there should be some national identity which superseded everything and it should be an easy way. Uh, you know, this would be a way to identify everyone, number one. 
and number two also it would act as a great vehicle for passing on incentive without leakage in the system and of course uh, also then bring everyone into the radar of the government and into the radar of everyone else because before this you know there was no way you could really uniquely identify anyone so i think the government undertook a huge program and there was a whole registration process it's got 10 finger fingerprinting it's got iris identification and uh, it it kind of was a fantastic rollout uh, the advantage obviously we had i must say is that we didn't since we did not have any other identity program in place it was to that extent easier to roll out than replacing the us social security number but having said said that uh since the numbers were so fantastic i mean <laughs> it, it, it was a humongous program and i think the step one of course was giving identity to people and the step two and three and beyond were you know what kind of use cases can you develop to now use this you know whether it could be just simple ekyc uh whether it could be just authentication as a service for every other service provider whether it be a frequent flyer program whether it be a loyalty program so everyone could now come and authenticate themselves against this service and then of course riding on top of that would be any kind of subsidies or direct benefit that the government wanted to disburse to its citizens could be done using this because now this would uniquely identify an individual and link that to their bank account to their mobile phone and ensure that that benefit goes there so while it's uh, while uh, it's it's still evolving and you know it's kind of undergoing change but uh, i think just as a program it's very unique in its uh, just in its scale and expanse and it's it's probably one of the things that's helped india leapfrog into the digital age that much quicker do you think do you think india as a country and this kind of just popped into my head right do you think that india as a country does a does a good job of sort of advertising itself to the rest of the world as a place where there are 25 unicorns and 30 unicorns for lack of a better term i feel like the world feels like all that stuff is going on in china when in reality it's not only in china where all this innovation is taking place right do you feel like india does a good job of promoting that or do you just feel like it's happening without most of the rest of the world knowing uh no no i i, I don't think that's true i think it's when you think about tech and you think about uh, uh, i think india and china kind of do come up simultaneously but for very long i think china has probably led india in terms of the infrastructure and the uh, you know the policy flexibility it is able to provide companies and startups uh, in their environment in terms of skill pool i think uh, i think there are enough indian ceos of fortune uh, 500 companies and large tech giants like google and microsoft and what have you so i think that the 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 talent aspect i think is probably uh, has been a given for a while but just the fact that whether you can succeed in that business in india has been a bit of a question mark and i think nascom which is kind of the nodal agency in india which kind of looks at this whole uh, industry government and outside connect i think they have been doing a fairly good job of promoting india as a destination so and and if you, even if you look at the numbers i think we had about seven or eight unicorns already this year and there were about 10 last year so that there has been a sudden surge uh, in the last two or three years wow in the circles that are relevant it has probably now 
reasonably well known but i think that is still uh, some amount of a catch up to be done with china but i think in terms of total number of unicorns users, so we we kind of are number 3 behind uh, the us and china ahead of the uk ahead of germany ahead of israel which are kind of the other usual suspects yeah no i guess my point was i didn't think that there was a lack of the unicorns or big companies in india i just wondered if the rest of the world was aware of it but i think your point is they are actually and that's awesome i want to again i want to go drill down a little bit deeper right i think that the top of the funnel particularly in the startup world always starts with angel investing or this early seed stage investing and i'm wondering how you would categorize the status of angel investing in india again i think if you would probably ask me this question a, a, a couple of years back you know my answer would be that you know it's it's kind of still in the realm of uh, fashion investing and you know people who've made pots of money elsewhere have probably kind of started putting money into this but today i think there is a reasonably healthy ecosystem of angels investors early seed stage investors uh, inv- investors for late stage startups and then moving on to the whole series a b c so it's it's uh, i think it's reasonably healthy and there is enough access there is enough there are enough forums out here where you can kind of go and uh, you know pitch your idea get some funding uh, it obviously follows the same process of elimination not everyone's going to get funding not everyone's idea is going to be liked but from where we were possibly 3 to 5 years back i think it's uh, uh, much much more vibrant having said that i mean we are also subject to any kind of economic overall economic you know uh, slow down or investing in a startup will then have to compete with investing it more in more safer securities bonds and stuff like that but having said that there is enough of an interest and enough money and enough people who are interested in uh, investing in uh, startups now and it, it it's also part of I think it's part of the portfolio of all the ultra high net worth in, uh, individuals in India as well. Got it. So you said you advise some startups in India. Do you also invest in them from an angel perspective? Do you help them raise money? Like how does that work? I don't think I I don't I can't afford to invest in them <laughs> as yet. <laughs> You're almost But, there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that's the hope. That's the hope always. <laughs> but yes uh, in terms of helping them raise i think it's more to do with of course making sure that you know that they've got you know they're doing the right things in terms of systems processes making the right connections with uh, customers clients uh, you know uh, opening them to you know new opportunities helping them see things differently and in the process helping them prepare for funding uh, as well so right. while not well not formally as any investment banker would do but definitely in terms of uh, mentoring and advising them to kind of be in a much better position to raise money so one of the structural changes that we've seen over the past sort of 6 or 7 years in southeast asia has been the singaporean government been very aggressive with some of its investment schemes right whether it's the nrf or the imda and allocating a lot of money to put some leverage in the system working with existing venture capitalists to kind of invest alongside them are there any programs like that in india as well that are significant and that add leverage to the, sort of the early stages of the investment scene so i think uh, i don't think the government is directly investing in 
a, a startup, but what they have is that they have a whole lot of uh, university-based uh, incubators and accelerators. We have government incubators. And through uh, industry nodal agencies, the government's uh, pushing the whole agenda of startups and entrepreneurship in a very big way. And also, of course, making the whole policy and government framework that much easier for you know startups to to set up business to to get working capital loans uh, to, to do all those kind of things so those pieces are in place but uh, at least i'm not personally aware that the government has actually started investing in startups uh, directly uh, having said that uh, if if you were a great uh, a startup with a great idea which was something that the government was looking at for solving any problem then definitely you could be in the running for one of those contracts which would then mean that you know you now have work and you have the potential to grow and you build credibility and of course then you can go raise funds got it so one of the things we talked about earlier was sort of the benefit that india has of just having a very large population right one point something pick a number billion people right and so the domestic market for any product has to be huge but like you said the startup scene is maturing a little bit faster for sure than it was like you said three or four years ago and are you starting to see because we've seen this from chinese companies right like jd or alibaba and tencent starting investing outside their own ecosystems not just in asia but all over the world are have these indian startup companies like um ola like zomato you know like paytm and, you know, pick your other favorite Indian unicorns. But are they then now starting to invest outside the country as well? So in terms of market expansion, definitely. So in terms of addressable market, uh, definitely. I mean, OYO, which is the kind of the equivalent of the Airbnb. So OYO is expanding to Malaysia, China, the UK, Indonesia, Japan. Uh, Ola is trying to expand into neighboring countries like Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. It's also trying to get into the UK. Uh, there's an education app called Baiju, which is kind of what should I say? It, it, it's kind of a learning aid app. So mm -hmm. they have kind of opened shop in the US, UK, which is basically it is an online platform. So it's just a question of making it available to people in that country. So in, like in the case of Baiju, as an example, it acquired a company. I think a company called Tutor Vista and another one called Edurite. I think those were acquisitions made to enable them to enter the US and the UK market. So while I won't say that it's it's happening all over the place, but I think wherever business strategy and expansion is dictating it, uh, at least the larger companies that are expanding into these markets are definitely doing acquisitions, setting up uh, bases in those countries where the need arises and you know, expanding in that manner. So one of the things I think about is sort of segregated ecosystems, right? And I think that a connected ecosystem is going to th is going to thrive in a way that a sort of separate one isn't. And I'm wondering two things. First is are there regional hubs in India that do that are known for like specific things? You know, obviously Bangalore for the longest time was known for outsourcing and for sort of you know, just tech development, whereas is Delhi different? And then is Mumbai different? Like, I'm just curious about how you define those ecosystems. Do they have specific focuses or is it all just the same? Uh, no, no, it's not all just the same. So like, as you correctly said, you're absolutely right that uh, Bangalore for the longest time has been kind of 
been an outsourcing center and, and post that has kind of become one of the big, big hubs uh, for uh, startups and especially tech startups. Uh, Mumbai and, and Delhi uh, are the other two big uh, areas that have traditionally have a lot of startups. Like in the case of Mumbai, uh, because it's also a financial capital, it has a tendency to have more fintechs starting out in Mumbai. Uh, the Makes media sense. and entertainment entertainment industry, uh, Bollywood as it is known, is kind of based out of Mumbai. So media and entertainment, again, is a big area that's uh, uh, seen startups grow in that uh, in India. And I think then there is a second and third tier of cities as well. So Hyderabad, Chennai, Pune, Kolkata are other cities. Then you've got some other uh, kind of lagging places like Chandigarh, Jaipur. But uh, I think, again, even here, um, if you kind of look, Mumbai and Delhi and Bangalore and possibly Chennai used to be uh, kind of defaults for startups. Right. Now you have uh, uh, people in smaller towns also kind of venturing into the space and not necessarily moving operations to set up. Uh, so in much smaller towns like uh, Jamshedpur, Karagpur, Saharanpur, which are like much, much smaller towns in India, you, you have uh, reasonable uh, size startups at least getting founded and getting started there uh, before they decide to move anywhere else for any other exigency. So uh, it was, but uh, it still continues to remain concentrated around three or four cities. But I think the healthy trend is that there are other cities are also seeing this uh, uh, startup community growing there, which I guess will take another five to seven years to for it to kind of really kind of balance out the larger cities. But I think it's a, a healthy trend in the right direction. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the IIT system does to drive startup growth and innovation in India? So, no, definitely, definitely. So I think if, I mean, as, I mean, I think the world over kind of the IITs have been seen as a source of technical uh, talent and and I think there are IITs probably in every large tech company across the world right now. The IITs are also trying to do is to build and hone entrepreneurial skills while students are still in colleges. So I think each one's got their own uh, incubator, which is kind of in-house. And uh, I think coupled with the alumnus support that they have of successful uh, ex-IITians, I think they're all trying to nurture this spirit of entrepreneurship to give students an alternative career to just, uh, you know, joining a large tech firm or possibly going abroad or, you know, just yeah. joining, the, joining the formal corporate world. And and slowly just, and, and all of this really is fueled by previous successes, right? So I think initially, maybe 10 years back, there was be lesser takers. But as you're seeing more companies getting funded, you know, unicorns getting formed, your seniors becoming successful. I think that the, the traction for companies to, for students to set up something on their own, uh, try out new ideas, you know, have the courage to experiment uh, and take that bold leap into, you know, entrepreneurship. I think that's definitely seeing an increase now. I think IIT Madras itself has got a very, very healthy, you know, incubator system, which is, you know, there was a company there which uh, developed drone technology for going into 
high temperature boilers and you know cleaning and monitoring operations and stuff so so there's a whole bunch of these things which are which were you know there was a lull previously when there were not enough takers for the entrepreneurial route but i think that's again changing now the last thing i want to ask you is what do you think are some of the challenges that you mentioned that enterprise is now starting to work pretty closely with startups but enterprises tend to be tend to be yeah just like much slower moving and the people that run startups tend to be just like much faster. Besides that, though, like what are some of the challenges that those two groups face when they try to work with each other in India? Like what's unique there? Right at the beginning, the first thing is just the discovery process. Like, you know, it's uh, it's still, uh, you know, enterprises need to discover the right startup that's solving its particular problem. So, so that process is still, is not super uh, harmonized. You know, you, you still... There is that search process and everyone does a whole lot of hackathons and, you know, little startup weeks and all of that where, you know, they call a whole bunch of them and, and they try to figure out which is the right startup that's working. Uh, the second challenge that I have also seen is that while you may pick solutions that you think are best in class from each of the startups, uh, the enterprise still needs to figure out a way to stitch all of this together because they are coming coming in, into this with their still legacy they have Systems, an enterprise yeah. architecture, you know, they have a the technology landscape where these things need to fit in. So I think uh, a, a lot of the work that's been happening is also in the nature of innovation, experimentation, proof of concept. And, and some of them obviously have been industrialized. But for a larger, much more widespread acceptance, I think uh, I, I think it's going to be a process of discovery. I, I, I don't think that there is an automatic fit that, uh, you know, you will suddenly have startups and enterprises working together. I mean, just as an example, mm-hmm. that the company, a lot of companies had their, you know, had some car rental service or they had their own fleet of cars or whatever. But with the coming of Ola and also Uber in the country, a lot of companies have started using them for their local transportation services. And and then they've figured out a way to, you know, integrate that into their whole financial accounting and HR systems. Similar is the case with room bookings. And I think people are using travel sites now and they're using uh, OYO rooms to book rooms, which is again taking uh, taking their, you know, admin function out. In terms of the core business, uh, I think it's it's still a process. I think more and more companies are becoming more and more open to doing this. But the challenge still remains that, you know, how to find the right solution, if there's a right fit, if there is a price point, Enterprises typically want the startup to, you know, do a lot of upfront testing and investment. You know, startups have a cash flow issue. So, you know, mm. unless they get paid, they can't really work. <laughs> so I think, and then the enterprise because of its muscle will say, okay, you know, you got to do these things free. And, you know, then if it all works out, I'll pay for it. But, you know, sometimes the startups just can't do that. You know, they need paying customers. They need, you know, someone to start paying the bells immediately. So, so I think yep. those things still need to be figured out. Um, is there any other is there any other point or any other issue that you want to bring up in particular about what the Indian ecosystem is going through today? I mean, it was a really interesting conversation for me. I feel like I've asked a lot of questions. So, I think the most important thing at least that comes to my mind is that the Indian ecosystem is probably not just the Indian ecosystem anymore. I think it's 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 probably more integrated to Southeast Asia and the rest of the world than you know we would tend to imagine because. Uh, I think uh, we are constantly using China as a reference point. We are using a lot of the hardware and all that stuff that gets done, uh, you know, work gets done in India is inspired 
or imported or collaborated with Chinese collaborators. Uh, in terms of market expansion, I think uh, a lot of the startups are already looking at options in other countries to yeah. do that. So in the next several years, I think uh, uh, to your point that, you know, maybe there is a scope for this being a, a more regional play. Uh, maybe, you know, large companies in the other parts of Asia should also start looking at India as one of their points for, you know, using more startups, driving innovation, doing all of that. So I think, I think I definitely see that as a secular trend that will automatically happen. I think it's just a question of time, whether it's going to be, you know, it's going to happen super quickly or it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to take the, the normal course of time three to five years or whatever that. Got it. Look, I think that's a great way to end. I really appreciate your time today. So I'm going to thank you so much for coming on the Asia Tech Podcast and doing this today. That was awesome. Uh, thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. And I, and I hope I whatever I've said has been going to be useful for all your listeners out there. 